0: This is the black and blue report presented by ABC insurance agencies, a better choice for insurance now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be. Here's Sean Kelly.
1: Great to be with you on a Wednesday, a beautiful day in the Gulf South. Hopefully wherever you are, it is equally as beautiful outside. Sean Kelly with you. We embark on another podcast here from the Osher Sports Performance Center and our friendly and uh, acoustically somewhat perfect Studio B. And we're going to talk Saints and Pelicans obviously today and take a couple of different routes in doing so. We're pleased to have Stu Jackson, former NBA head coach, league executive, now analyst with NBA TV on with us today as the regular season for the Pelicans begins one week from today. Can you believe it? The preseason will wrap up Friday. More on that in a moment. We had trade news since we last were with you on the uh, Saints front. Adrian Peterson is now a member of the Arizona Cardinals. We'll touch on that with head coach Sean Payton in just a moment. Meanwhile, Coach Payton and the Saints are gearing up for a home game this weekend against the Detroit Lions. And we begin our game prep this week with Tim Twentyman from DetroitLions.com. Also a part of our show. And we'll uh, even sprinkle some golf in there at the end. We've got the PGA Tour swinging back through our area here shortly. uh, Later this month they stop in Jackson for the Sanderson Farms championship. So a very busy day here on the Black and Blue Report and here on campus, obviously. Okay, let's go back to the Adrian Peterson trade. Big news, obviously, uh, in that the Saints trade Peterson to the Arizona Cardinals for a draft pick, and head coach Sean Payton addressed that move this morning on his conference call with the media.
2: One of the challenges, obviously, when when you have the depth we had is, is – having enough touches for all these guys and you know both Mark and uh and Alvin have been playing well uh I think look Adrian had a good training camp and and yet you know in our league you have free agency then you have the NFL draft unlike basketball where it's the other way around and look we drafted and ended up you know finding a good young prospect who's played well Uh, I think this was a a win-win in regards to I think uh Adrian and I've talked a a ton each week you know we'll spend time just up here in the office talking about uh our system just different things his role and uh our relationship I would say has been fantastic and it was an opportunity really where he was going to obviously get somewhere and and be featured more and and I'm happy that 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 opportunity come up and we were able to make a trade.
1: All right, Coach Payton, uh, obviously talking with the media for the first time this week and really throughout the bye, so obviously the Lions conversation begins in earnest today, as do the Saints on the practice field. The Saints have been playing the Lions on a regular basis, unfortunately not to the winning side. Three straight losses to the Lions, and head coach Sean Payton says it's pretty easy to figure out why.
2: In those three games, 63-point Saints, 87-detroit. In those three games, we converted 35% on third down. They converted 46%. In those three games, we've rushed for 192. They've rushed for 294. In those three games, five takeaways for the Saints, excuse me, five turnover Saints, three for the Lions. QB hurries. New Orleans hurried their quarterback or hit or sacked their quarterback 27 times. Detroit hit, hurried, or sacked Drew 42 times. So I could go through, but I just finished this three-game study in regards to the numbers and pick a category. It hadn't been good.
1: And while the Detroit Lions lost another close game to an NFC South opponent this past weekend at Carolina, the Lions still come in at 3-2, and two, very powerful, and uh, will present the same problems they have for the Saints in these last three meetings and maybe some more?
2: Um, I'd I'd say there's a lot of similarities. There's been stability in the coaching staff, so the schemes are the same. You see an active defensive front. The secondary's playing very well. Uh, Offensively, you still got a handful of running backs that are challenges, especially not only as runners but also as receivers. And I think that, look, they've, they've played well in some close games. It's early in the season right now. They're coming off of you know, a close, hard-fought game, but um, but there, there's a lot of similarities.
1: That's a little bit of what head coach Sean Payton had to say this morning on his weekly conference call, not weekly, his Wednesday conference call, I should say, with the media from the Osher Sports Performance Center earlier today. All right, still to come, Tim Twenty Man from DetroitLions.com. But up next from NBA TV, it's Stu Jackson. Stay with us. There are plenty of good reasons to attend the Sanderson Farms Championship. About 150,000 good reasons. Batson Children's Hospital, part of Children's of Mississippi, averages 150,000 patient visits a year. And each year, proceeds from the championship support these patients by donating to Friends of Children's Hospital. Last year, the championship raised over $1 million for friends. So join us for the Sanderson Farms Championship, October 23rd through 29th, at the Country Club of Jackson. Good reason for a great time.
2: 50 years ago, a groovy new golf gig first teed off in Mississippi. The tournament now known as the Sanderson Farms Championship. To celebrate, join us October 23rd through 29th at the Country Club of Jackson for first-class golf, waves of fun, and 100% natural Sanderson Farms chicken. All to raise money for Friends of Children's Hospital. Don't miss this 50th anniversary celebration. Visit sandersonfarmschampionship.com for tickets today. What's up,
3: Pelican fans? This is Anthony Mackey, a shorter, talented version of Anthony Davis, and
1: you are listening to the Black and Blue Report. Go Pelicans. Welcome back. We are certainly honored to have our next guest here on the Black and Blue Report this Wednesday. Stu Jackson's done about everything in the game of basketball, especially the NBA level. I know NBA TV is thrilled to have him as an analyst. We're thrilled to have him as a guest today to not only uh, talk about the start of the season, but kind of set the table for us, and next week where. Well, TNT has opening night on Tuesday. That's hard to believe we're less than a week away. Big-time doubleheader that features the Celtics and the Cavs, followed by the Rockets and Warriors. 6 p.m. Central is the start time on Tuesday. And then NBA TV has a huge schedule this year with 106 regulars in games. They do include the Pelicans and a number of those, and that all starts on the 21st. Coverage of Warriors Grizzlies at 7, Clippers and Suns. At nine thirty, Stu Jackson, are you ready for the new season? By the way, happy new year to you.
3: Well, happy new year and happy new NBA season to you. Yes, I'm definitely ready. Uh, this time of year is always a special time of anticipation of uh, what's to follow ahead after coming off that unbelievably busy summer in the NBA. So, yeah, I'm more than ready.
1: Stu, you've been an executive, a head coach, a league executive. Think back. When was the last time we had a summer like we saw this past?
3: I don't think that uh, I can remember one, um, and certainly it's almost like you go seamlessly from the NBA Finals uh, right into um, uh, the uh, the draft, and then into free agency, which there seemed to be a new storyline every single day, uh, you know, backed up by the signings, the trades, and it seemed like even through August it just never ended, and here we are, and I think all of us are trying to just sort out. Uh, which players are where, how teams are going to gel, having uh, a number of uh, changes on rosters. And uh, it just makes for creating interest, I think, for us that follow the game every day and for the casual fan.
1: Still, I don't mean to sound West, Western Conference biased here, but I will. Um, it seems like so much of that news this summer was all of these folks moving to the Western Conference and, and making that all the more difficult for those teams like the Pelicans. And Grizzlies and Thunder and Rockets and everybody else. D- am I am I being too shallow here? <laughs> I, you know,
3: I don't think so. I do think we're at a little bit of a tipping point in terms of the differences in the conference, conferences between the West and the East. Uh, I think I read over the summer that something like 11 or 12 players that were either All-Stars or former All-Stars uh, defected from the Eastern Conference to the West, and it's really created, I think, a true balance uh, tipped in the balance of power, and we 're almost in a situation where we 've got the varsity in the western Conference and the j v s in the eastern conference and that 's not to say there aren't some good teams in the east, but even if you look at the potential playoff races uh you know in both conferences you you have so many difficult choices uh, in the West and in the East, you can more or less pick which teams the first you know five or six teams that make uh, the playoffs this year, and then it's really an open book for everybody else because no one truly understands uh, how these teams are going to separate uh, because talent-wise they seem very similar.
1: Stay with that open book thought if you don't mind, Stu. Is there a team in the East that probably is saying to themselves, hey, don't forget about us. We might be there and you don't know it yet.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there could be several teams in the East saying that. I mean, when you look at the East, you've got the big four, as I'll characterize it, in Cleveland, Boston, Toronto, and Washington. And then in my mind, the next two are Milwaukee and Miami, not in any special order. I think those six teams you look at and say to yourself, they probably make the, the playoffs. But of the other nine, I mean, it's really a crapshoot. We don't know yet who's going to emerge over the course of the the season that actually becomes a playoff team. And uh, I think for that reason, it is an open book. It's very wide open and uh, only time will tell.
1: Stu Jackson with us here on the black and blue report. Hey, Stu, over in the West, obviously, I think we know the heavy hitters, but I'm sure Pelicans fans are looking at the Pelicans and where they would hope to be as far as a possible playoff slot goes. Who are the teams around where the Pelicans may or may not be that I think that We'll have to watch as the season progresses.
3: Yeah, you know, I I would really earmark, if I was a Pelican fan, teams like uh, Minnesota, you know, are they able to make that jump, um, you know, into the playoff scene? Denver uh, has a very good young team that I think over time just will continue to get better uh, centered around uh, Nikolai Jokic. Uh, Then, you know, I I, I think with uh, with the loss of Gordon Haywood, uh, Utah is a little bit of an X factor, uh, although now they've built a, ch- you know, a sort of a playoff pedigree, uh, winning 51 games last year. It's hard to believe that they won't make the playoffs, but again, they've taken some hits personnel-wise. So I think they are a team to watch. And then the other team would be Portland. You know, do they make uh, a move? You know, they got the last playoff spot last year. Do they go up or do they go down? So I think those four teams for the for Pelicans fans are ones that you really need to
1: watch. Stu, if you don't mind, put your head coaching hat on for a moment, and, and obviously the loss of Rajon Rondo here for the beginning of the season hurts. But if you were to look at Alvin Gentry's situation right now, what, what challenges does he have in making sure this team in New Orleans gets off on the right foot?
3: Well, he, you know, he has – I'll tell you one challenge he doesn't have, and that is a lack of talent. <laughs> because in, certainly in the starting lineup, when Rondo is healthy and you're now, you know, rolling out a lineup of Rondo – uh, Drew Holloway, potentially Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, uh, that lineup will play in a lot of places in the NBA. So that's not their issue. But the issue is that, you know, like a lot of teams to start the year, you've got, you know, a number of new faces that you need to integrate into uh, to really make this thing gel. You know, you know, what does a guy like Ian Clark bring you? Uh, you, you know, you've lost Solomon Hill Who fills his spot? What's the bench going to look like? Uh, And who are the key cogs there? Is it Etan Moore that's a bench player uh, that that really solidifies that bench? You've got Jordan Crawford, you know, coming back. So I, I, I think that that's the challenge is that anytime you have a lot of new faces on any team, it takes that good, particularly with this shortened preseason, it takes that good month, month and a half to really see what it is you have.
1: No doubt. No doubt. Hey, you mentioned the shortened preseason. That means we're going to extend the length of the regular season by the calendar, not necessarily the number of games. Between that stew and, and and obviously the changes that are going to attempt to help the flow of the game, will fans notice a big difference in your eyes? They they
3: should if you you know if if you are really you know focused in on it. I I do feel that adding you know shorting shortening the preseason. And adding those extra days onto the regular season, you, quite simply, you're going to have less density of games uh, during a given week, which should really help, uh, you know, player uh, health and wellness. Um, it's going to hopefully even improve the NBA product. Not having as many back-to-backs and eliminating those four games in five nights, the quality of, of play I think will really uh, be a real positive. But, you know, uh, and I'm hoping that somehow, you know, we get lucky this year and don't have as many injuries to really key players, you know, as we go throughout the season. I think in terms of the game, the one thing I do like about the new rules is the fact that they've made timeouts a lot simpler. Because I think most fans, if you had to ask them, you know, the difference between, you know, the 20 and the full and when they actually occur during the game, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to tell you. And I think – Going to a situation where you've got most of the timeouts that are the same length uh, during a game will help streamline the game. Uh, I I think the timeout rules are a little bit easier to understand. The The fact that each team can only take two timeouts uh, during the final minutes of the game, I, I think will allow the game to flow a little bit better and maybe not make those last couple minutes of an NBA game as agonizing. So, uh, yes, I do think that uh, it's been a, a real true improvement on the product, and fans will recognize that.
1: No doubt, no doubt. Stu Jackson's with us. Hey, Stu, last question would be this. Uh, obviously, we're going to change the All-Star game format, no longer have that kind of traditional East versus West. Is, is that is that a tip to say that the NBA might be ready to do a reseeding of the playoffs, one through 16, no matter which side, uh, are, we, are we poised for that? Are we ready for that?
3: You know, I'm of the opinion. I, I don't think that we are. Uh, I think, listen, I think the all-star roster uh, selection uh, and game is a good idea uh, because perhaps it will invoke a different level of competitiveness between the players in the actual game. And it will help sort of balance, uh, you know, the issue we talked about earlier in terms of the differences between the Eastern Conference and their strength and a not so strong Eastern Eastern Conference. So I-, I do think that will help. But listen, I don't think you can engage in, you know, the one through 16 reseeding. It's an issue that when I was a part of the NBA, we discussed uh, even back then, mm-hmm. and it's just too difficult. By way of example, you could never have a miami portland series i mean you just you, you you couldn't have it just in the interest of you know time and travel it sort of defeats the purpose of some of the things you're trying to accomplish and i i think when you really look at trying to reach recede and you know one through 16 it's a really slippery slope in terms of travel in terms of costs, uh and just uh you know, the wear and tear on players. I think it's difficult for the media. I just don't see it.
1: Okay. The reason I ask is, like you said, you've you've been in that league office, and I thought you might have some perspective that is maybe lost on those of us who have never had that experience. So I appreciate it, my friend. Um, I know a lot of folks will talk about it this year, but they're not going to see it the same way you do. Yep. Yep, All right, Stu, good luck to you guys at NBA TV, TNT. Obviously, we're looking for a big splash next week. I hope you're ready.
3: Oh, yeah. Trust me. We will be ready. <laughs> we stay ready at NBA TV.
1: I knew you I knew you would say that. <laughs> big slate of games that starts, uh, obviously, on NBA TV. As Stu mentioned, uh, a week from Saturday, TNT gets this all started with a big blockbuster doubleheader on Tuesday night. Stu, all the best. Can't wait to see you here as we progress through the season.
3: Well, I look forward to it.
1: Thank you, sir. Stu Jackson, NBA TV analyst. We'll be right back. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager, brewed with love and top-quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe, original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more, and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana.
0: We call it No Appointment Radio. You're listening to the Black and Blue Report.
1: Tim Twentyman is the uh, senior writer for DetroitLions.com, and he really, in, uh, is, in a sense, is the beginning of our game prep for this weekend's Saints and Lions matchup. And as I was just talking to Tim on the telephone uh, prior to starting of the tape for our podcast today, it's as if the Lions and the Saints are in the same division because Tim's been with us before, He's kind of a regular, and we're awfully glad to have him back. Hi, Tim.
0: Hi. How are you guys doing?
1: We're doing well. Coming off of a bye, I think everybody's here getting back into gear, whereas the Lions haven't had a break yet uh, so far. So that's kind of where we stand. What about the Lions? How are they feeling after this past weekend's heartbreaker? Another one here for the Lions.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think that score was maybe a little bit closer than what the game actually was. Um you know, Detroit came back late and, and obviously, you know, they're well known for that, but the you know, I think Carolina really you know dominated that game um, specifically with their pass game. And, and I think that was a little bit of a surprise in Detroit because they played so well defensively. Um, now they still stopped the run, you know, 28 rushes for 28 yards against Carolina. That that's doing a good job against the run, but you know, too many missed tackles, too many missed assignments in the secondary led to Cam Newton's 355 yards and three touchdowns. And so, um, I think the score was maybe a little bit closer than the game actually was. Detroit really struggled to run the ball. Matthew Stafford was um, not as sharp as we've seen him this year. And so, you know, it was, it was probably, you know, their worst loss of the year. And, um, you know, they're going to have to bounce back. They've got, you know, a, a dangerous Saints team who's been playing well the last couple weeks, and, and this is the last game before Detroit's bye. So, like New Orleans, they probably will, you know, want to get off to a, to a um, you know, nice winning streak heading into the dry.
1: So Tim, is is this most recent Lions outing a, a real snapshot of what this team is five games in, or do you have to look at the the five game body of work to really have an idea of what this edition of Detroit is?
0: Well, I think you have to look at the entire five game body. I mean, the Lions have have run the ball in stretches, but they have not been consistent enough with it. You know, Matthew Stafford has played well. Um, you know through the first four games, specifically not turning the football over, um, you know, guiding the team down the field points. They've struggled in the red zone, but they've been able to get some points. Um, And then defensively, you know, forcing turnovers. In the first four games, they forced 11. So, unfortunately, they didn't have any last week. That was, you know, part of the difference in the game. And so, you know, I think if you look at the whole body of work, I think maybe the thing that jumps out in Detroit is they've been known, you know, for so many years – kind of like New Orleans as as a passing team, you know, an explosive offense. And it's actually been the defense that's been better through the first five games here in Detroit. They really carried this team as Matthew Stafford and the offense have, you know, kind of struggled to put up points.
1: Yeah, no doubt. The takeaway thing is amazing. You're plus eight, the the 11 takeaways, even though you didn't have any last week, still third in the NFL. Uh, That's that's impressive. Have they been doing the job as far as, I guess, forcing the issue, or have they benefited from some tip balls, some lucky bounces type of thing, or is it a mix?
0: Well, I think it's a mix. You know, you, you can always say, well, yeah, that, that ball was tipped, but somebody still has to be there in position to catch that ball after it's tipped. And so, you know, I think one of the things that, that they've really emphasized this offseason, speaking of defensive coordinator Terry Lawson and head coach Jim Caldwell, is, is forcing some of those turnovers, getting more of those opportunities. Um, you look at in the season and in training camp, when, when a running back goes 30 yards downfield, Every single defensive player is required to run down and need to touch the running back as he turns around and comes back or try to hit at the ball, even if he's 30, 40 yards downfield, you see defensive tackles run to the football. And I think, you know, that that's some of the things we're seeing. In one particular fumble by, by Dalvin Cook in, in the Minnesota win, I, I went back on the film, and right at the point of fumble, there were 10 lions around the football. Um, and, and, you know, taking your whitehead, you know, was the, the lucky one that won the race and got, and got the fumble recovery. But that's kind of what I'm talking about in terms of you know being around the football. And when you do that, there's obviously going to be more opportunities to turn the football over and get those key turnovers. The, uh,
1: the, the Matthew Stafford dynamic of all this, you know, and obviously as you had mentioned nearly at the top, was a strength of the Lions in their passing game. Who is he connecting with most? How's, as far as chemistry goes, what's the likely, I guess, challenge here for the Saints defense?
0: Yeah, I think you know you look at the past three weeks, and I think you mentioned it off the top. We almost seem like division opponents here. We've we've played for the last three three weeks or three years, excuse me. Now, um, but I think Golden Tate continues to be you know Matthew's most trusted receiver. And I look back to those you know last three games against the Saints. I've got, I think he's got over 350 yards, four touchdowns. Um, so he's kind of been a, a thorn in New Orleans' side, and I think he's got three consecutive years of 90 plus catches so he's Matthew Stafford's guy and if New Orleans is going to pick one guy they have to maybe try to contain um, or put an extra guy around it would be Golden Tate who's playing a lot more out of the slot this year which presents more problems for defenses as well.
1: I kind of thought you'd answer with that but you know you're on the ground there I thought well maybe he'll <laughs> throw me a curveball here but it's hard to ignore his numbers it really is.
0: It is, especially against New Orleans. He's been really, really good. Um, And I think if you're New Orleans, that's the first guy you're going to want to stop just because of what's happened the last three years and those Lions wins and and Golden Tate being a big part
1: of it. Sean Payton earlier today uh, noted numbers from these last three meetings. They're lopsided. Uh, This isn't even close, especially last year. Uh, In your eyes, Tim, uh, are the Lions concerned in any way about this particular Saints outfit and how those numbers might change? What What has that conversation been like?
0: Yeah, you know, I I think you know we, we start to get more of those conversations today. We'll have Coach here in a little bit. Matthew Stafford's coming up here in a few minutes, and then we get locker room. So um, we we haven't really talked Saints yet today. Is kind of when they turn that book and, and start doing it. But you know, I I think whenever you go on the road in the NFC, one, it's an important game because it's the NFC with all the playoff implications. But look, Mercedes is, Dome is a loud environment. Um and the Saints typically play well there. Now they have it a couple times versus Detroit, but um I don't think that's gonna lull Detroit into any sense of um confidence or greater confidence than they should have. Um especially the way, you know, Matthew Stafford's banged up. He's been uh, sacked twelve times in the last two games. He's been hit fourteen times. They haven't been able to run the football last week. They didn't generate a turnover, came through for 355 yards. So, you know, I don't think the Lions come into this game, you know, with their chests out saying we're the Detroit Lions they are coming off a bad loss, and I don't think they're going to take New Orleans lightly at all.
1: Fair enough. Hey, Tim, I always love going a little bit deeper with you because I think most fans now can find the game notes or watch a few hours of NFL Network. Let me Let me get something from you, a note, a number, something from you that obviously you would only be able to gain by being around the team as much as you are. Is there – is there, do you have a walk-off for us here on this Wednesday as we get ready for all these interviews Ooh, and and commentaries about this weekend's game?
0: Man, you're putting me on the spot. I, I had am a, a little line. bit. I'm yep. the i the, the Golden Tate one, but I kind of you know blew it already. You know, I think what you mentioned is going to be key to this ball game. I I went and saw a a Drew Brees interview from after your game in London where he talked about not turning the football over and that being an emphasis for them, too. And then you look at the other side of the ball with it being an emphasis to Detroit. You mentioned the plus eight. They've got 11 takeaways in five games. They had only 14 all of last year. They've got 11 in five games. So I think that's the key to this one. You know, Drew Brees is doing a good job you know, not turning the ball over. The Lions have been able to turn opponents owner over and win games because of it. That, to me, is the key key one in this one.
1: Knew it. I knew if I put you on the spot, you'd swing and hit a homer. <laughs> nice job. Appreciate it, Tim. Have Sorry, a, guys. Anytime. Yep. Have a great week. Uh, enjoy the travel. We'll see you this weekend. We'll see you down there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Tim Twenty Man, senior writer, DetroitLions.com, with us here on the Black and Blue Report. If you don't want to miss
2: out on any of the action, get connected with your New Orleans Pelicans 24-7-365. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter for exclusive prizes and giveaways. Plus text with all the latest breaking news right on your phone with Pelicans mobile alerts. Visit pelicans.com for information on these great features. Plus sign up for Pelicans Insider with weekly updates from the Pelicans. Join the conversation today.
0: Want each show delivered right to your iPhone or
2: iPad? Subscribe to the podcast
0: on iTunes by searching Black and Blue Report.
1: We're going to wrap up on this Wednesday with some golf, and this is a kind of an annual conversation for us, and we love it because uh, days away now, basically up in Jackson, our neighbors to the north, the uh, Sanderson Farms Championship hits the uh, PGA Tour here again, and Steve Jen is kind enough to join us he's the executive director it's kind of our october thing isn't it steve it's great to have you back and and talking about the big event we up in jackson
4: yeah thank you it's good to be back we uh you know we, this is this is our big event of the year and we work all year long to make this happen and we're, we're excited about what we're going to see here uh in, a, in about 10 days
1: yep october 23rd through the 29th how's the country club of jackson is it ready to go
4: man it, it it may be in the best shape I've ever seen it. you know the 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 heavy rains that we had earlier in the late spring, early summer um, really helped the golf course uh, from a from an agronomy standpoint. so and it's probably the best Bermuda greens I've, I've ever seen. And, you know, the rough is nice and juicy and, uh, it's, uh, it's, the players are really going to like what they see here when they get here.
1: Did you say nice and juicy because of the good, honest chicken of Sanderson <laughs> farms? Did you do that on purpose?
4: I, I, I didn't, you know, that's kind of what, 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 we talk about when the, when the rough gets tall and it's, a lot of times it's not a term of term of endearment for a lot of golfers, but, uh, it's it's thick and it'll it'll be challenging for
1: him. <laughs> Steve Jones so. with us. Steve, we know the economic impact of the tour event that happens here in New Orleans in the spring. What's it like for Jackson, and, and why is why is this time of year perfect for this event? Yeah, I mean, this you know
4: we had a study done this past year by the folks at Mississippi State University and um, estimated that it's about a twenty six million dollar uh, economic impact for the week of our tournament, and that's you know that comes in the way of hotel rooms and rental cars and, and restaurants and shopping and you know, just a little bit of everything. Um, you know, and that's important, you know, to to an economy here in, like in Jackson and central Mississippi. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great time of year for us. Uh, you know, the, the weather makes it great from a, from a standpoint for spectators getting out and seeing the golf course. It's typically, you know, it's not as warm as it's been, but it's typically dry. Um, you know the golf course is in phenomenal shape it, you know it it is right in the middle of football season but we we choose to embrace that i mean um, you know we do some things on the golf course that are really neat for spectators we've got a large area by our 18th green called the tailgate that has a large um nice screen television there where we showed the football games on the weekends and um, and golf during the week and on the weekends and it's our main concession area and we we say, hey, look, you know, if you can't make it to some of the football games, come out here and, and watch it on the big screen, and then enjoy. You know, our event, if you look at it, is you know the highest level of professional golf in the country will be played in Jackson, Mississippi, in two weeks, hmm. and um, we, we couldn't be more proud of that.
1: Uh, golf fans are going to want to know who's coming, who who's scheduled to play, Steve. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going
4: to be maybe one of the strongest fields we've had. It's still shaping up. Um, because, you know, we, what we take a look at is the players don't have to commit until, until uh, the Friday, 5 o'clock Eastern time on the Friday before the tournament. So, you know, un, unlike y'all, you when know, you, know, you know Drew Brees is, is for the most part, is, is strapping his chin strap every Sunday, um, you know, we're, we still wait. But we do have an, an idea of, of someone who is coming in the field. I mean, we've got Luke Donald in the field, former number one player. Former champion here in 2002 is his first PGA Tour win, so Luke will be here. Uh, will McGurk, who um, could not play last year because he qualified for a World Golf Championship event in China, but he's back this year. Um, our three past champions: Cody Gribble, Peter Malnati, Nick Taylor. They're all in the field. Aaron Badley, uh, Australian, who who will be here. Yes. Um, Billy Hurley, who's gotten a lot of recognition, played for the Naval Academy and then served served our country, and then got, you know, is making on the PJ Tour. Billy's going to come. Um, you know, D.A. Points, Chris Stroud, uh, major winners and Ohill Cabrera and, and Ratif R- R- Goosom. And then we've got a lot of the, the guys, you know, coming right off um, the web.com tour that got their cards. So Jonathan Randolph will be in the field. He's a, he's a local Mississippi uh, favorite, grew up in Brandon, played at Ole Miss. Uh, we, we just gave a sponsor exemption to someone your, A lot of your listeners would be interested in, in, uh, in Sam Burns, played at LSU, and a uh, great, great young player. And then Smiley Kaufman, who also played at LSU, is going to be in the field. So um, it, it looks great. Obviously, we've still got some some players to go in the next 10 days, but um should be one of the best fields ever.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great field, Steve. Congratulations on that, and I know – You'll be waiting on a few other names as we get closer, but uh, just just that right there, <laughs> that's that's outstanding, especially yeah, um, be... yeah, this far out. I love it. I love it.
4: Uh, absolutely.
1: Steve, website, tickets, all that stuff. Give me give me the lowdown real quick before we get out of here.
4: Yeah, we try to keep it easy. It's just uh, www.standersonfarmschampionship.com. Um, all the information about section information and purchasing tickets is there. Um, our our social media tag is really easy. It's uh, it's SFChamp. That's in Sanderson Farms Championship. So SFChamp on all our Twitter and Instagram sites. So um, tickets can be ordered online. They can be uh, bought at, at day of at Will Call um, at North Park Mall. And um, we make it easy uh, for people to come out. Uh, kids 17 and under get in free with the tickets as adults. So you know, a, a family of four can come out here for for $50 and affordable concessions and, and make an entire day out of it. So uh, it's our 50th anniversary. Not a lot of PJ Tour events can say that. Our first uh, year was 1968, and so we're celebrating our 50th year at the PJ Tour event. And then uh, we've got some different activities scheduled throughout the week that should be fun for everybody.
1: Outstanding. Again, October 23rd through the 29th, Sanderson Farms Championship, the Country Club of Jackson. Obviously, a lot of local charities will benefit from this this event and all that is around it as well. Steve, all the best. I'm glad you're able to check in with us this week. Thanks this up. gives uh, folks a, a little lead time here and then as always we wish you a great event and a fantastic weather. Knock on wood.
4: All right. Thank you very much. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to it and I appreciate the ability to come on. So thanks very much.
1: You got it. Steve Gent with us here to wrap up today's Black and Blue Report, a show that also included head coach Sean Payton, Tim Tim Man from DetroitLions.com, and Stu Jackson, I guess, from we call it NBA TV. Pretty good Wednesday, that's for sure. Thanks to everyone. We'll talk to you on Friday on the next Black and Blue Report.